We're going to continue our exploration of the management process and provide insight and advice on being a more effective manager. As you know, in the last two episodes, we've covered planning, organizing, and the directing functions of management. Uh, And I want to continue that discussion as we go through because I really believe this management process is an important thing for young leaders and managers to learn and also for established leaders and managers to really take time to pause about how well they're doing these things. So today we're going to finish up this management series by getting into the controlling phase or what we would call following up. I think I would call this the adjusting phase and we'll discuss that a little bit as we get into the uh, the whole podcast. So back with me to continue the conversation, Fleet Mass Chief, James Honey, Jim, welcome back. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great, Paul. And thank you for having me back. I I really enjoyed these discussions and uh, listening to them uh, afterwards. You've done a really great job uh, in producing the podcast. I think this is great material, and, and I've really enjoyed it. I'm kind of sad that we're going to be closing out uh, this three-part series, and uh, I'll have to have some other excuse to call you up this chat with you. But I know your listeners need to hear from other people, so I- I'm ready to get started, though, Paul. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, so we've covered a lot in the last two episodes, so... You know, before we start, I was thinking anything you want to offer here. Um, I think it just gets down into all these phases rely upon each other and they all blend together and they feed back, right? So planning and organizing, as we discussed, overlaps. You know, you get into supervising and directing, and then we're going to get into this controlling function, and that's going to blend a bit with all the others too. So anything you want to offer before we get into it? Yeah, I, I would just offer just as you described it. I think all these things kind of blend together. You need to have good situational leadership skills, you know, to have good skills in, in this portion of of controlling and managing, coming up with a plan. All, all those things were going to require all similar skills. And as you get into this phase, I, I'm really glad that you, you talked about it being the adjustment phase. You need to be flexible uh, and have built into your plan, you know, flexibility to allow for you to get, get to a point of success. I think we'll probably be able to describe that. You know, as we as we go throughout the you know the conversation, once you get started on the plan, if your plan is so rigid that doesn't allow for any kind of deviation, uh, you'll you'll find yourself real quickly roadblocked and unable to complete. Uh, so you need to have some flexibility built in there and understand that uh, you don't have control of the entire environment. You're going to need to have a plan on what you're going to do when these different environmentals come up and, and how you're going to respond to them. Yeah, absolutely. This will be cool because I think you're going to have some cool situations. At least I'm going to prompt you for some. But uh, so let's, kill, you know, to clarify, I'm going to put this in the phase of, you know, since I've talked about four distinct phases, they are sequenced. There is some blending, but let's talk about controlling or adjusting as the point that follows up the supervising. So I'm out supervising. I'm watching. I'm monitoring something. Perhaps I'm doing a paperwork check. Perhaps I'm conducting an inspection. What I see will drive my next set of behaviors that falls into the controlling function. And this could be called quality assurance. This could be called post-supervision. Um, and it could be direct observation. It could be spot checks. Or like I said, it could be reviewing paperwork, such as log reviews, those kind of things we see in the Navy. So let's pick up and get your perspective. Let's put in the context of an underway replenishment, right? So we have planned, we have organized. That is a very complex evolution for people not familiar with it. We have two, perhaps an aircraft carrier and an oiler ship side by side. There's hoses and there's rigging connected between the two ships. 
There's teams in place watching how we do. We're driving the ship side by side. You're the boats and maiden in charge of the rigging crew. How are you evaluating the success of this evolution from your perspective? Because I think that's what's going to shape your decision on staying on course or adjusting. So what's going through your mind at this point as a supervisor on how do you measure the success of that evolution? You know, this is a you know very complex one to kind of walk us through, you know, right away. Uh, but it, I, I would break it down just like you do lots of other steps. You're, you're looking for the uh, anything that might be going off of plan. So okay. it, you can take any corrective actions necessary to make sure that we're staying on the plan and making adjustments depending on what, you know, the environmental variables are, are, are taking place to you. Because uh, so, we want to make sure that we're executing to a desired standard. And we're going to get the outcomes uh, that, that we want at the end of this thing. So in, in the situation that you're describing, uh, I want to make sure that the rigging stays taut the way that it's supposed to. And that nothing is becoming slack. Uh, n- nothing looks out of the ordinary. Uh, that the hoses uh, have the right saddle flow that I'm looking for. So that er- everything's progressing along as it should. We don't have any leaks. And that everything is, is continuing the way that it should. You know, we have personnel that are making sure that we don't become too close, that the two ships aren't closing in on one another, because that, that's extremely dangerous for all of us. Right. Uh, any number of those things that could lead me to believe that we have equipment failure or that there's a chance that there's some other variable that could come along that's going to cause uh, us to be concerned. Yeah. So what's the linkage? We discussed in the first part of the series this importance of a pre-evolution brief. To what extent have you discussed these standards and what you're looking for in that? To every extent possible. You know, we, we walk through every possible scenario where something could have gone wrong. And a lot of that, you know, is in the setting up the rigs, bringing the rigs over. All of those things are probably where you have the greatest chance for things to go wrong. It's going to take corrective action, as well as when you start breaking the rig down and start sending the rig back and forth uh, between the ships. Uh, those are your chances for your greatest risk. Uh, while you're hooked up, your greatest risks are damage to the equipment, equipment that quits operating appropriately, or or the ships become too far separated, or they become too close. Uh, so we will walk through all those different steps, all the way down to when, when the situation is no longer tenable, and we're going to have to do an emergency breakaway. Okay. Yeah, so in Nuke Power, we call this, you're watching system response, right? So we know at certain times, and I always go to like a reactor startup, you know, we know at certain points in that period as we're pulling out control rods, we expect a certain response. And at certain times we pause, we make sure we get that response, and then we continue to proceed on. In many cases, a lot of that, again, is documented. It's based on organizational learning. There's technical criteria that drive it. But some of this is just experience-based, right? There's an art and a feel to it. Sometimes you feel things aren't right. So where does this concept of experience and team feedback come into play to help a supervisor determine if they're on course or off course, but can adjust or if they need to set a new course. Of course, experience is going to be part of that. And as well as, like you said, I think the rest of your team are helping you with what you might have in the blind. They're giving you feedback about the things that you can't see. There's a lot of inputs coming into you to tell you, you know, how things are progressing. I listened to a recent podcast that you did. I think it was episode 17 with another person that does podcasts with you from Don't Give Up the Ship. Yeah. Uh, that standards, standards, standards. And he went through a pretty lengthy discussion with you about monitoring the standard and making sure that all those things are, are happening. And you guys talked through a lot of examples of, 
of how to inspect for and uh, ensure that we are meeting the standard. And where we're not, what corrective actions need to be taking place. And the same thing would happen in, in a special evolution like uh, underway replenishment. There's somebody that's continuously monitoring what the distances are from the ship. And if, if it's something that becomes untenable that we're not going to be able to self-correct in a quick enough fashion, then we may have to do an emergency breakaway. And, and that would be ordered. And then there's there's steps and procedures that, that we go through to get that done. And I think it's important to note, too, you know, I know I go, you know, the discussions we've had before, you know, we talk about some evolutions and real-time stuff, but some of this stuff is time-critical and some of it's not. So I could put this in context of day-to-day stuff, right? So at the end of the day, you could huddle with your team and kind of do a post-day debrief. That is a controlling thing. Um, what's been your experience there? Yeah, so certainly, I mean, in the, in the functions that I that I have every day here as the fleet master chief, my team and I, we sit down every morning. We go over what we expect the day is going to be. And throughout the day, you know, we're, we're coming back and checking to make sure we're still on plan with whatever, you know, the different functions are, whether it happens to be my schedule, what, whatever else that we're trying to make sure we get produced for the day. One, one of the major things we're working on right now is getting uh, charge letters out to all the CPO selects throughout the Pacific fleet. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's quite a bit, Paul, you know that. Yes. And, uh, Getting all those printed and signed and, and mailed out, it takes a certain level of attention daily just to, you know, to keep moving on those things. And then at the end of the day, you know, we look at all the things that we had agreed upon in the morning we were going to get completed. We looked at how we got everything uh, completed on the schedule that we were supposed to or what needs to be rescheduled. And, and we do a kind of a hot wash of what we got done, as well as we look at, you know, on a longer term schedule of what we're trying to get accomplished. Uh, not just in the daily, but in the weekly, or uh, even like six weeks out. Uh, we're looking at making sure how that fits into a strategic plan of engagements and communications on what we're trying to make sure is coming out of this office. Okay. I think it's important also at this point, you know, and it just came to mind is talking about some of the attributes that good leaders and managers should have in this phase, right? Because in many cases, like you just said, adjusting is because someone has reprioritized your day for you, right? So those out there who think that you get to control your day, you do work for people and those people have things that change and their priorities change, which drives you to adjust as well. So I think one attribute of a good leader and a manager is flexibility. What other attributes would you think are good in this controlling function? Because it can be very frustrating, as you know. Yeah, flexibility, as well as being able to prioritize on the run. Uh, so you have to have a very good sense of who you are and what your organization's priorities are. Because I could get wrapped up very, very strongly about what I'm concerned about in my day-to-day, as well as my team. You know, But if a sailor calls in here and a sailor needs help with something, that's going to change everything I'm doing that day. A sailor with a real concern, those are concerning to us, and we stop what we're doing so that we can address those things. My boss also has... You know, the ability to completely change what my schedule is going to be, and, and we, we have to move in that direction. But I need to be able to also recognize what those changes are going to be. So I think besides being flexible, being able to assess quickly on the fly where these new things are and how they fit into your priorities. And then you may end up having to, what was priority one, two, three, and four? Mine ended up becoming five, six, and seven, and, and five, six, and seven be, you know, have to move up because of the timeliness of things and being able to do that uh, quickly uh, and having a 
a good understanding of everything working around you is is extremely important. Yeah, and I think when you get into operations too, you know, like underway replenishment, it could be a well deck operation, it could be a reactor startup or a casualty during operations. Now you're talking about people be able to maintain their cool and have composure under pressure. Sometimes they're not things that everyone is set up to do. So I think this is that part of self-reflection of if you had to adjust in a period of crisis, how could you do that? Would you be able to maintain your composure and confidence and then confidently and firmly lead your team to that when they're looking for that guidance as you go through these kind of adjustments? Yeah, and I think a lot of that, Paul, has to do with uh, your experience and your comfort in that environment. If you've done this enough times and you have confidence in yourself, you have confidence in the team to be able to respond to that change, then you're less flustered by all of that. Yeah. Uh, the less confidence and the less secure you are, the more likely you are to become flustered. So thinking through what those variables might be will, will go a long way in instilling calmness and confidence in you and the, and the rest of the team uh, to be able to respond you know, to those changes and to those variables. And, and also, like you just described, also be able to recognize you know, secondary and tertiary effects from those changes, as well as what your changes are and how that's going to affect uh, everything as a whole. As you make changes, that's going to that's going to put other things at greater risk. You need to be able to know that fairly quickly so that you're, you're making smart decisions. Yeah, that's all good stuff. So you talked earlier about stopping evolution or completely stopping a product. Again, this could be a process or a policy, right? A policy we put into motion and we think it's going to produce some outcome and we start getting behavior or feedback that's totally out of character from what we wanted. How do you handle those situations uh, or with your team and what's your thinking process when you have to stop an evolution or completely change course? To begin with, I, you stop the plan or evolution when it's no longer recoverable or that it creates too much risk, uh, okay. especially to, to your equipment or even worse, to life. I, I think, you know, depending on, you know, if it's you know like the evolution like we were describing earlier and underway replenishment, when we would go through an emergency breakaway, you know, there's different variables in that place. But there's other plans that we could be out there executing. And when you're going along and you see that there's no more adjustments that you could make, with the current plan, the way it's operating, for it to be recoverable and still give you an end result without there being too much risk. Well, then, then it's prudent to stop, reassemble the team, and develop a, a course of action for a reattack. And that happens oftentimes even with an under replenishment. Maybe we make a poor approach, or along the ways, uh, we, we have some situations that are beyond our control. Could be other shippings getting in the way. So we decide we're going to do a breakaway, we'll peel off, create some separation create a new plan, and then we'll come back and, and re-attack again later. And that happens with, with lots of our plans, but you kind of had to have thought through what those are going to be. What are those potentials that, that could be there to help you stop your plan? And I think that you should have these well understood and communicated with the entire team, including whoever you work for. You know, you got, yeah. you got some of your work for, as you described, and they are supervising you. They're watching over you. you got to make sure that your plan is well communicated to your leadership so that they can follow along with that and they have trust and confidence in you and allow you to continue uh, leading, directing your teams. The Cutlass Podcast will return in a moment. For more than 100 years, naval professionals have counted on books such as the Chief Petty Officer's Guide to prepare them for the responsibilities as they advance in their careers and to serve as a ready reference and refresher when needed. 
The Chief Petty Officer's Guide provides unique insights into topics such as the one discussed in this podcast, which enable Navy chiefs and other leaders to achieve their objectives and positively influence their sailors, peers, and leadership. The Chief Petty Officer's Guide is essential and insightful reading for chiefs of any experience level, first-class petty officers who aspire to advance to chief, or anyone looking to reflect on the state of their leadership and management skills while benefiting from insights on the leadership and management approaches of U.S. Navy chiefs. Get your copy today at www.usni.org backslash books or online at your bookstore of choice. Now back to the Cutlass Podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of variables. And I think it gets back to really having good feedback channels, right? So whether it's gauges and the system I'm, I'm watching, you know, sometimes we have things that we can watch and they give a system response. Sometimes it's the documents I'm reviewing, but sometimes again, it's what I'm seeing based on my experience and getting that feedback of communication back that tells you, okay, we've created or we've crossed the threshold of intolerance. We're going to stop. We're going to pull off. And we're going to readjust. So those feedback channels are crucial to making sure that happens. So isn't good when you want to stop things, um, especially when there may be pressure from a boss to get things done. So what's your advice to that manager, how to stop or not how to stop, but how to report those situations to higher level leadership or their boss? I believe that you should be having continuous conversation with your leadership on the plans that you're that, that you are currently directing or, or any evolution that you're currently leading and supervising and that your leadership understands, you know, what your tolerance levels are. And when you reach these tolerance levels, what your actions are going to be. If your leadership understands uh, what you're doing and what your plans are, when you make an adjustment or if you have to take a pause or stop to re-attack, then they're less concerned when you report that you've done so. Now, if something happens that was beyond your thought process or your control, I've learned is that bad news don't get better with time. Yeah, you so got as soon it. As you can, as soon as you can, you, you need to you know communicate that with your leadership. Yeah. I remember being uh, a relatively new chief uh, on the enterprise and, there we had eight turbine generators, you know, I mean, for the ship's distribution system. And, you know, my first classes came up and said, hey, we thought we had the maintenance we needed scheduled the way we needed to, but we're going to have to take down X number of turbine generators to get the maintenance done within periodicity. So, you know, here I am, I'm the new chief. I got to go to the department head at the time. So I just sat down with the electrical officer and was like, all right, what's your tolerance for the number of turbine generators you want down at once? Yeah, he was frustrated. I took that. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the goal was to get the maintenance done. You know, so I transmitted that on behalf of the team. But at the same time, I took that feedback back to the team and said, okay, how do we avoid this next time? But there's going to be points when you're a supervisor where you're going to have to report that to leadership. But to your point, there's no use hiding it. Just tell, you know, that truth up front. You might get a little pain in the near term, but at the end of the day, they'll overcome their frustration and be able to move on. So, well, Paul, I was just going to say is that I think in there that you gain greater trust with your leadership when, when, when you do communicate things like that. Yeah. You know, in, in your example, you don't always have all the information. And once you start communicating that up channel, you find out that their tolerance level maybe not be conducive to an expansion of your maintenance plan. Yep. Because there's other variables that, you know, that they're concerned about. And now we, we may have to reattack the whole plan, you know, from a much higher level, from, you know, from a much larger perspective. And you wouldn't be privy to that until, you know, you had that greater communication. And so it, it's imperative, you know, that you help as a follower 
you know, be a good follower of your leadership and give them good communication, good feedback so that they're not in the blind about it. This gets into this, you know, a little side point is the concept of taking the heat, especially for new chief petty officers, but this can be for anyone. This could be a junior officer, a senior officer. You could translate this up and down in organizational hierarchy. At some point, your people, you know, well-intended, but they're going to mess up. You know, they know they've messed up. They just want to fix their mistakes. So your job is, okay, I will go clear the lanes for you to get done what you know you need to get done. Um, so it's really a communication challenge and it's a key part of being a good leader. All right, let's get into inspections and audits real quickly. Those are controlling function kind of things, not real time. Those are more administrative in nature and less time dependent, I would say. So what's your advice for conducting an inspection from the perspective of a supervisor? Where you Do you do announced or unannounced inspections? Are they formal? Or are they informal? Or do you vary it up? Yeah, I vary it up. All I, this is where I start seeing a blending going back to situational leadership. Yes. It's really depending on the readiness of my team as well as I'm going to want to take risks from time to time to build on my team's confidence and, and help them gain some greater trust in themselves and in the rest of the team. I, I always want to see their success. I, I don't want to put them in a situation where they're going to fail. But if I can give them a chance to prove to themselves that they can win at something, I, then I'm going to do that. So it's, it is going to be situationally dependent, but I'm going to look for some opportunities. Okay. And then in page 74, the Chiefs guy, I write about this concept of inspectmanship. So then there's the being inspected, right? So as a supervisor, you can expect some kind of controlling function to come into your organization from a higher level. So what's your advice and perspective on helping your team prepare for these outside inspections and audits? For the most part, we all have an agreed upon standard. And anybody that comes in from the outside are going to understand that standard as well as we do. And I try to instill in them their ability to meet that standard and feel as prepared as they possibly can uh, for that outside inspection or, or controlling function. Again, I'm going to try and build in the greatest trust, build in the greatest amount of confidence so that uh, the, the sailors feel as prepared as they possibly can. One of the perspectives I always had was if we can get ourselves to doing business day-to-day to the level of the standard, then we shouldn't sweat the inspection, right? The inspection just comes in and verifies we're doing what we need to do. But when you don't do things and you're disorganized, right, and you fail, frankly, in the other, the planning, the organizing, and the supervising phases, when that external supervision comes in, you're just set up for failure, which spend your experience yeah. with that. No, you're right. You, you you should be doing this on a daily basis. And they are just coming in there to validate how you you conduct business daily. And I agree with that completely. Uh, another way I was thinking about this question was as I prepared for boards of inspection and survey. So as an insert team, we're going to come on board my ships as a, as a bosun's mate. I could have been very controlling about every piece of that inspection and that I was going to be the one as you know, the chief or the senior chief, I was going to be at every station and I was going to be the one that was going to explain and present every rig or every piece of equipment to the, to the inspector. Instead, what I preferred to do was give all my uh, BM3s, all my petty officers, their own part that they were responsible for. Yeah, They got all the drawings together. They got all the rig together. They lay it all out. They understood the evolution. And when I brought the, you know, the inspector to them, that BM3 was responsible for presenting their area. So they felt completely empowered, very, very confident about what they were doing. I felt much stronger about my team. And I think that showed throughout my years of going through different inspections, 
uh, and assessments that at the most junior levels, this was something that was well understood, uh, and it wasn't something that was just understood by the senior leaders in, you know, in, my, in my commands. And, and that, I think, built stronger teams and, uh, and helped make us more successful. Okay. Yeah. So as you control or you adjust or you're assessing it, right, you're going to figure out if you're on course, like I said, I've, or I've heard it put this way, right? Am I on course? Am I off course, but I can adjust? Or do I need to set a new course? Regardless of that outcome, at the end of it, once we're done and through some part of that or to the end, you do what's called a post-evolution debrief. Perhaps you do it at the end of an inspection or an audit. And these are really important because this is where the real organizational learning happens. So from your perspective, what does a good debrief or end-of-day meeting look like? For myself, from my perspective, in the debriefs that I've worked on, is that as the supervisor, I, I tried to be the last to speak. And I allowed the other key watchstanders or members of the team the ability to provide from their perspective what happened, both good and bad, and to give their recommended adjustments or improvements to the process uh, from their perspectives and allow everyone to kind of go through that on the team with as many people as possible listening in and learning from this debrief. And then I would ask that you know someone on that team, preferably me, be the one that gives a good wrap-up at the end of everything that we've kind of gotten from the feedback. Uh, and sometimes course corrections or, or uh, recommendations for course corrections, you know, require some adjustment uh, and some feedback from those key watchstanders, but uh, do it in a way that those key watchstanders don't feel like there's going to be any fear. Yeah, uh, they, they, they don't have anything to be concerned about that they feel empowered to give this feedback. I always learned about things to debrief, right? Obviously, you go through and you're you know going through the procedure, which you did. But number one, you should try to capture the task, right? So how well did we do the task at hand, all the technical things, those kind of adjustments, right, to actually getting things done. Another thing you should do talk about or debrief is the team interaction. So how well did we communicate? Was formal communication there? Was watch standard backup effective when we needed it? Um, was there a free flow of communication? Those kind of things. And then finally, what are the lessons learned? What did we do? Where were the near misses? How could we have done better? What could have been more efficient or effective? Those are the three areas of a debrief I think you should capture because those things then feed back into the management process, right? So they go back into the planning function. Perhaps you adjust procedures. Perhaps you identify training that you need to do or educational opportunities to improve for the next time. Perhaps there's some kind of technical adjustment you need to do the system or the process. What's been your experience with that? Yeah, I think you said it right there. That process improvement, the feedback is necessary to go back into that planning phase, help redefine the standards, or sometimes just helps the team gain a greater understanding. And what's your advice on leveraging that team input in the controlling phase? I know it sounds common sense, but some people don't invite that team feedback in. That's what it comes down to. Is the the, the leader uh, has to encourage it because the leader needs to understand uh, that they have to be able to depend on the entire team to draw their attention to the areas that they're blind in. They're, it's impossible for you to see every aspect of an evolution or a process or, or day-to-day activities, especially when you're leading, leading large, complex organizations. Your feedback from those teams is going to be critical. They need to be able to trust that you're going to take your feedback and act on it, uh, but it's critical for you to be able to trust them uh, that they're bringing to your attention 
areas that you're belonging to. Uh, because as you said many, many times, you know, throughout the, our, our conversation here, uh, you're looking for that feedback in lots of different ways. And from your other controlling stations and, and watch standers or team members, you're going to get a lot of this. The point I'll make here is from the leader perspective, if you want team input, you better create the environment that invites it, right? Don't be telling the team like, oh, I invite your input. And when they start giving you that hard deck plate truth or that solid feedback or things you don't want to hear, you start to scowl or you start to push back because you're going to shut it down and you'll never get it again. And then you're going to be that leader out on an island on your own. And then you won't get the feedback you need. And then catastrophic things are going to happen and things are going to break. People are going to get killed. And ultimately, you're going to get held accountable and fired at the best. All right. Any last thoughts on the controlling function or anything in the management functions we've discussed in the last three episodes? Paul, I again, I, I, I would highlight a lot of this is about building trust and confidence in yourself, in your teams, and in your teams and you as a leader. If you do those things, this is you said at the end here, all these other parts of, of leading and planning and, and controlling will, will come together and, and help see to the team success. All right, Jim. Thanks again. It's really been a pleasure having you on for the series of podcasts. Great insight. Been great to connect again. So good luck to you. And we'll definitely be in touch. If not for another Cutlass podcast, I definitely would love to get you on the Proceedings podcast. So good luck to you. Hey, thanks, Paul. And I look forward to it. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Cutlass podcast. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep that leadership Cutlass sharp. Reflect and improve and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference in your personal and professional life. 